You are listening to the First Baptist Jinx podcast. To learn more about FBC Jinx, including our gathering times, visit us online at fbcjinx.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Rick Fry. Well, good morning, church family. Let me welcome you. So thankful that you're here today. Those of you that are joining us online this morning, let me just thank you for stopping by and worshiping with us week after week. And those of you over in the overflow today, let me thank you for being over there today. This morning, if you want to take God's Word, we're going to finish up this third chapter, uh, Ephesians chapter 3, as we continue our series on Undivided. And we're going to be looking today in verses 20 and 21. You may recall that last Sunday we were in verses 14 through 19, and Paul was actually praying his, this prayer while he was in prison for the church at Ephesus. And we know that in this prayer he was praying certainly for unity. We now come, though, to these last two verses, and these last two verses really and truly could be called a doxology. You know anything about what a doxology is, it's really about praise, it's about worship. And what Paul begins to do, he begins to turn just a little bit in the focus, not just upon unity, but how this really takes place. Let's look at it, beginning in verse 20. He says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. I want you to take for a moment, if you don't mind writing your Bible, I want you to put a big circle around the word able. Because it brings me to my first point this morning, and that is our God is able. I don't know what some of you in this room or those of you watching online may be running from today. I don't know what you're faced with. Maybe it's a move. Maybe it's a job change. Maybe it's a health issue. I don't know what maybe some of you have already been through, and you've been through some of those massive changes in your life. But maybe you're sitting there today, and you're listening to this, and you need to know, is God able? Is God able to see me through the crisis? Is God able to see me through the job changes? God able to see me through uh, maybe the birth of a new baby? Is God able to see me through this sickness or this loss or whatever it may be? There's some of you I know that you're sitting there and you're desiring things. That is that you, you, there's a passion that's burning within your soul. There are things in which you are praying for. There are things in your life today that you absolutely need. And you're wondering, is God able? I'm here to tell you this morning in the authority of God's Word, our God is able. Amen? So Paul, basically in this prayer, as he's in prison, he says, now to him who is able. It reminds me of a story that was recorded in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 2 when the man with the leprosy comes to Jesus. And when he came to Jesus, Lord, if you will, will you make me clean? What I love about that, he didn't say, Lord, are you able to heal me? But basically he said, if you will. And Jesus said, I am willing. When you look at that word able, you really begin to understand that it is signifies literally the unimaginable un ability that God has today, that God is capable of doing whatever God chooses to do. But I think it's also important to remember this morning where all this is taking place. Again, in these first three chapters, Paul is writing from prison. 
I described that prison a little bit for you last week. And so it's dark, it's, it's, it's cold. He's down in the bottom. Above him is another part of the prison cell. And there was a huge hole that everything that would come down literally on top of him. And so here he is, and he's on his face. He's praying for the church at Ephesus. And notice what he says. He says, to him who is able. You see, I'm convinced that what Paul understood was that if the Ephesian church was ever really and truly going to experience unity, if the church at large was ever going to experience unity, it was not the product of our ability to get along with each other. It's not even the ability of saying, well, I like you and I'll forgive you. No, it is the ability of God to will and to work in and through us. Here's the point that Paul is making. This has nothing to do with you and nothing to do with me. Think about it. What Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus and what you and I are reading today, there's not a one of us in this room that have the ability to do what he's describing in this, in this verse. Paul understood that. So what is Paul doing? Paul's on his face. He's crying out to God. And he says, to him who is able. But notice he doesn't stop there. Now, to him who is able to do more, far more abundantly than all that we ask or even what we think. Which brings me to my second point, and that is simply this, that God is infinitely able. What Paul is trying to do, he's trying to describe, if you will, this relationship that he has with God because at the time that Paul is actually writing these letters, he encounters a phenomenon. What I mean by that is he's trying to find words to describe just who this God is. You remember, remember, he had the same problem back in the book of Philippians. Paul was writing there, and he talks about God's grace, and he says that this grace is superabounding to him. He says it's a superabounding grace. And what Paul was doing, he was using a new word to try to describe this grace of God. When you come to Ephesians chapter 3, Paul says, Now to him who is able to do far more, you ought to underline this word, abundantly more than we ask or think. You know what Paul does? He tacks on what we call a hyper in the Greek. And it's that little word, that powerful word, abundant. It doesn't make sense. It's new. It's a new construction. He's trying to describe God in all of his abilities. And he cannot find the terms, the words. So he's trying to describe just how great, just how mighty the ability of God is. You know why? Because, family, the reality is not only should these people not be in the same room that he's talking about here, not only should the sweet fellowship of these people be taking place at this time, because these people don't even like each other. It's Jewish, Gentile. I mean, why in the world? And yet, why in the world is it happening? I'll tell you why it's happening. Because God was doing something through them, and God wants to do something through you and I. It's his ability, not ours. And therein lies the power of the gospel. Think about it. You see, the power of the gospel really doesn't rely upon your ability or my ability whatsoever, but it is the ability of Christ to obey on our behalf. For any of us in this room today, for any of us that's watching online today, if we're trying to seek refuge with a holy and a righteous God according to how well we obey or how many choruses you and I can sing or how many verses you and I can quote, the, we have totally missed the gospel. Because the gospel is the good news. It is that perfect person of Christ in obedience, listen to me, that credits to your account and my account by faith that we receive him. Why? Because God is able to save. 
God is able to transform. God's ability never wavers. Yours do. Mine wavers. In fact, Paul says he is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. You know what my greatest fear is? My greatest fear is that we're probably more bold in our thoughts toward God than we are in our words. How many times have in your thought life you thought about, oh, I wish I could pray this prayer, I wish I could verbalize this bold, ambitious prayer, and yet we never vocalize it? Oh, we think about it, but we don't pray those bold prayers. I was reading just this last week that there are some scholars who believe that one of the reasons why that God told Adam and gave him the privilege of naming all the animals that he created is, is the idea that something really didn't exist until it had a name. Have you ever walked through Scripture to realize that without Scripture we're called to confess our sins? Notice, to one another. That's not a silent confession, but rather it's a vocal confession. Why is that? Because there are so many people, even inside of the church today, that are living and locked into a bondage for years, slave to sins, and the reason why is because they never have spoken out loud, this is my struggle, this is my giant, I need somebody to hold me accountability, I need somebody to stand in the gap with me, I need somebody to help me be able to look and have victory in this, so they keep it to themselves, they play their cards very close to their chest, and they never vocalize it. So if you take all of that into account, if God is able to do far more than we ask or think, that speaks of God's potential. That God is far more abundant than we can ask or think. Then can I just say, perhaps we've been asking or thinking too small? Could it be? Because we don't understand the power that lives in us. Do you understand this morning that the power begins to change your life? It sets you on a new course, a new direction. And this is what we see Paul doing. Paul changes speed here. He says it's according to the power, notice, that works within us. You see, power is the ability to bring about change. So look at what Paul says. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly then all that we ask or think according to the power that is where? What does the Scripture say? At work in us. Did you catch that? The power that is within us. Paul says this, that God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. The question is, what is that power? Well, what he's doing here, the power is describing God in his presence inside of the believer by faith and the triune God who is at work in the assembly of the believer. And that power, listen to me, is not my ability. It's not your ability. That would be like an oxymoron. It is the power of God, listen, that superabounds within us. Did you catch this? It is God far more exceedingly, abundantly, infinite power working through us. Think about it. If you've ever spoken a good word to a believer or sister in Christ, I got news for you. That's the power of God. If you've ever done a good deed within your life, that is the product of the grace and the power of God. All of these things, it is God working in and through you, and it is the product of the power of God. And let me just say it again. If we think this is about us, 
then we've missed it. We've totally missed it. Because this is in accordance to the power of God at work in you. I can just imagine the Ephesian church when they got this letter going, how in the world can we do this? There's no way that we can love like he's telling us to love. There's no way that we can have this unity like he's describing. Paul is thinking about the church that he loves, and he's praying for them. He's on his knees. And what he realizes is in order for this to take place, in order for this to happen, in order for them to partake of this, they have to recognize they cannot do this by themselves. So he points them to the power that lives in them. He points them to God's ability. Remember over in the book of Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 27, he says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh, and I love this line. He says, Is there anything too hard for me? Is there anything too hard for God? The answer is no. So when it comes to your life and my life together, there are times, listen to me, that you are going to have to choose. You are going to have to make the choice to rely upon the Spirit of God more than you rely upon your own ability and your own talents. Paul is saying, listen, Jesus is your peace, and we are the masterpiece of God, and the mystery that is being revealed is that we are part of the same family. This is why he wants there to be unity in the church. And I realize in the church, I've been in this for 52 years. Listen, I know that people can get their feelings started in church. I know that people can be disappointed. I know that there can be conflict inside of the body of Christ. I know all of that. I've experienced it in these 52 years. But you know what breaks my heart? 99 and 9 tenths part of the time. You know what happens when those kind of things happen? They want to run. Run. Well, I'll just go to another church. Well, you think everything's going to be better over there? Really? You see, Paul is talking about the unity of the family of God. Why? The only way that it works, the only way that it comes about is because the power that is at work within you has the ability to keep you. It is the things that keep you, not your natural ability. It is the person of Christ that lives inside of you that you choose against yourself. And you know what? This is bigger than me. It's about the kingdom. Somewhere, family, I said this last week, we have got to stop trying to make people in our own image. But rather through the power of the Spirit of God that lives in you and I, we help, we come along, we disciple, we encourage that they can be conformed, listen, to the image of Jesus Christ. I can't fix anybody, neither can you. But let me tell you what our job in ministry is to do. It is to remind the people of God to remember who lives in them. That's our mission. That what lives in you is Jesus. God created the universe. He spoke it. It's the breath of God. This is the God who speaks to us and he creates love. It's the God who speaks to us and he creates joy. He speaks to us and all of a sudden life is stirred up and God stoops down and he gets dirty and he takes these hands and he fashions man called Adam. And yet by his word in this infinite power creates the most complex thing in all of the universe, man. And by the power of God, when man confesses and repents and receives Jesus into his life, that power comes to live inside of him. And listen to me, it is the very same power that's present in bringing Jesus Christ out of the grave. He was dead. He was put in a borrowed tomb. 
He was wrapped in 70 pounds of linen and spices and got up and walked out of that grave, and that is the God who lives in you. Don't forget it. Quit looking at the world and saying, oh, man, the world has trials and has problems. and it's No, greater is he that lives in you than he that lives in the world. Amen? Don't forget that. And when you and I consider the power of God that is at work within us, we as believers must never say, oh, I don't have the power. I can't overcome that sin. Really? Then you just gave in to the devil. Remember, great power usually has small beginnings. That brings me to my third and final point, and that is God's ability is infinitely powerful. Do you remember where you were when God arrested you? I mean, when you finally came to the realization, you weren't looking for Jesus? I wasn't looking for Jesus as an eight-year-old boy, but I tell you what, I remember the goodness of God and the grace of God that arrested me. And I finally recognized and realized how much God loved me and that grace and that love brought me so close to him in a relationship and it literally changed my life forever. But listen to me, you know how it all started? With a seed of faith. That's how it all started. And you have to understand, if you go back and look at you taking a simple seed and planting it in the ground, what happens to that seed? That seed, if you put it in the ground, first of all, it has to what? Die. And as that seed dies, it germinates. And it begins to grow, and it has to fight for sunlight and water, and the seed grows. And, but first of all, it had to die. And it comes through the hardship of pushing up through this earth just as you and I go through hardships in our life. Remember what Jesus said? Think about this. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples about faith? He said, if you have the, the faith the size of a mustard seed, that you can say to this mountain, think about this, be thou removed and cast into the sea. Now keep that scripture in its context. Read the whole thing. Because what Jesus is reminding them is that this mountain, this temple mountain where the sacrificial system sets there, that they had to come and make a sacrifice yearly for their sins, which this was a system that was built upon man's works. In order to be right with God, you have to have one small seed of faith, and that one small kernel, take all of that, and you can save this mountain and be cast in the sea. You know why? Because it takes one speck of faith. One small seed that begins to take root within your life and your heart it germinates, and you come to life in Christ, and the power of God resides in you. And all of a sudden, he begins to grow you and I into something where we become powerful force, listen, for the kingdom of God. And it's all dependent upon one thing first, and that is you got to die. You got to choose against yourself. And what gives you and I that life is that infinite power of a loving, gracious God that comes to set his abode within your life. And because of the life that he gives to you and I, we discover that Christian maturity, listen, it's marked by how we love our enemies. Have you ever thought about it? Jesus said, the world will know you're my disciples because you love one another, but God, not because you preach sermons or sing songs or have great worship, but because you love one another. Christian maturity is marked by how we love the person that, yes, is from a different place than you and I. So what Paul is trying to get to here in this third chapter, he says, 
notice, is that God will be glorified in the church, in Christ, beyond time. Let me challenge you to do something. Go, go back and read all three chapters again. And what you're going to discover, there is a silent partner in all three chapters. You know what that silent partner is? It's glory. It's glory. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is found in the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. But listen to this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full, catch this, of his glory. You know what Isaiah was saying? That the most important person at that time in the whole world is what? It is God. And here's one of the things that you and I need to be reminded of about the glory of God. The glory of God is so weighty and so heavy. Think about this. Remember when Moses asked God, he said, God, can I see your glory? He said, son, you couldn't survive if you saw my glory. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock. I'll put my hand on you. I will walk past, and you can see the afterglow. You know why? Because the, the glory of God is so heavy, it literally would have crushed him. Think about this. In the last days, Scripture says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Why? To the glory of God, because you don't have a choice. The weightiness of the glory of God. Paul says to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Listen to me. Everything that we have done in the past at First Baptist Jinks, and I know Cody agrees with me, everything that this church will do in the future will always be for his glory. Period. You know why? Because when the church reflects all of his glory, and we don't make it about us, it's not about our programs, it's not about anything else, it's about the glory of God. Listen, where you and I do not take credit, but we are pointing the men and the women and the families and the boys and girls who come onto this campus, who comes under the teaching of this church, whether it's in small groups or whether it's right here in this worship center, it is always we're pointing people to Jesus, period. It's all about his glory. Why? Because this Jesus is able to save. This Jesus supports. He's able to secure. He's able to subdue. He's able to stabilize. He is a mighty God. And the question that every one of us ought to ask ourselves is, listen, are we appropriating by faith his ability to overmatch your lostness? Your tendency to drift, as all of us do from time to time? Your tendency of insecurity? your powerlessness, your inability. Listen to me. You are not so good that you don't need to be saved, nor are you so bad that you can't be saved. Think about it. You see, Jesus simply tells us if we will confess our sins and recognize that he loves us, that he went to the cross, that he died for your sins to take your place, to become your stand-in, and that if you will have that simple seed a faith to say, I believe. I believe that you love me, that you died for me, that you're coming again for me. And church, let me tell you something. All you gotta do is turn on 
and watch the television today and look at our world. And I'm telling you, it is shouting Jesus is coming. He's coming. The question is, are you ready? Invite him into your heart. Let him change and transform your life. But here's my prayer. And here's what I pray that you'll join me in. That we will declare like Paul. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power, catch this, at work in us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever and ever. Amen. To God be the glory because greater is he that lives in you than he that lives in the world. Would you stand? Oh, Father, what a mighty God. And Father, I pray today that you'd forgive us when we try in our own self-sufficiency and ability as the body of Christ to even try to accomplish, to even try to start doing something in your name. Father, everything that we are, everything that we ever hope to be, as a church, as your people, as your children, is because of the overabundance of your grace and love that you bestowed upon us. That, Father, I thank you for Paul reminding us <laughs> it ain't about us. Forgive us when we don't recognize that. My prayer today is that you would stir within us move within us in such a powerful way that today we as the church, as believers, Christians understand it is about your ability and not ours. Forgive us when we say we can't overcome sin because we can in your strength, not ours. No matter what giant we may face in life, you've already conquered that giant. No matter what fears we may encounter, <laughs> you've already overcome those fears. But in order for us, just like the church at Ephesus, to experience this, to know this in our heart, we must choose to die. It's not about us. I pray for this family that I love. That, Father, you would make us a church that would not be great because of preaching or teaching or singing or worship or even missions. But would make this church strong and a powerful church in the future is a church that understands that it's for your glory. Speak to hearts today. Draw us into your presence. And I pray that in Jesus' name, amen.